I wanted to kind of switch to what you were going through as parents of you don't know, you think you're going to go back in a couple months. At month two, three, at what point do you think, okay, I don't know if we're going to go back? Like, did you continue to have hope? How long did that hope last thinking you were going to go back and get your children? Um, I didn't, I didn't dare not hold on to that hope. And I could only hold on for, for one week and then I would just start over again. And it's like my life was put on pause because, I mean, it was, I spent the time mourning the death of all of my children. Because that's essentially what it was. Yeah. And you just have to hold on to the hope you can't, you can't let go. No, In a nutshell, it's complete survival mode. You got to survive this. And yes, I hope that, that if there is a God, which you can't believe that there isn't. There is a God. He knows all the suffering, and we're suffering intensely. Um, we just got to get through it, and we got to please this horrible God that's making us go through this, so to speak. But we didn't think of it at the time as him being a horrible God. But um... And I think that was part of their strategy, is to keep you in survival mode so you didn't question anything. You know, you did exactly what they said, and they could use you. Did you guys have each other during that at all? Were you able to lean on one another? To a degree, because he worked seven days a week, and he worked all day long. So we would talk and say, hey, okay, you're still alive, but that was pretty much it. Um, I was working too, but I was home a little more than you were, were at the house. So I rented a house, and he ended up having a trailer on the house. On the property, on the property I lived in the camp trailer we on the property. Together. We lived in Nebraska and went through... Lots of tornadoes with him in the trailer. Working. And we didn't realize it was tornado weather. And at first, then, yes. um, my separate roof was a tent. I lived in a tent every night, um, even when there was tornadoes out there. So um, for, for the, your viewers out there, anybody, I did say, if there is a God, oh, I guarantee there is a God because the tornado could have taken me away. But, yeah, there's a God that kept me here for a reason. And that whole time you're staying in the tent, it's all under the assumption of you trying to be obedient to what Warren Jeffs is expecting of you as a couple. Yeah, and just constantly sending those letters in, just practically begging, just to get enough to get a chance to just check on them and make sure they're okay. I got to the point where you, you break down and you, I didn't, we didn't dare sleep because you think, I mean like, I had just get worked so hard till I was so tired that when I did go to sleep, I just fall right to sleep. And then the minute I woke back up and get up and just be same reason why the work. I worked seven days a week just because you just couldn't allow yourself to feel when you find we finally did and I just you just break down. I mean, I could be in public. I remember one day we went out to grab something to eat and I just broke down and wept in front of the you know. There's no way to explain why. There was nobody we could tell what the stress we were under. We weren't supposed to be speaking to anybody out in the world because if we did, then we wouldn't get our kids back and we wouldn't be able to go back. I mean, that was the driving force. We'll go back. I wanted, the thing I wanted the most in this world was to go back to Colorado City and get my kids and be there and live there exactly. and be under Warren. I mean, because now there was a driving force and so, you know, it, it even drove, it kind of was forcing you to even drive your testimony. Like, I know there's a God and he's going to tell Warren to tell me, 
Those letters were never opened. Those letters were the letters were sent in to get help. There's piles and piles and piles of letters that were sent in for help. None of them are open. If they didn't have a pile of money in them, they weren't open. I'd like to real quick describe a very, very difficult situation that we went through shortly after um, we had gone. We were both working at Walmart at the time because it was before I got the other job that I got where I was working seven days a week. And I knew it was temporary because I'd already applied for this other job. However, we were there working at Walmart and it was during the time when all of the mothers and children of the FLDS were killed in the flood that happened in, in Colorado City. And that was bad enough, not knowing anything about our kids or if our kids well, had... Well, there's a family and their last name was what? Right. We could get no And if our kids had been killed or not, and we just had to hold out hope for hope that the bishop would really call us if one of them had been killed. And to couple that with all of the emotion that we had dealt with, we're dealing with um, being out there without our kids, not knowing anything, and then it came across the news, which is how we found out in the break room at Walmart. And there was people from Nebraska who were saying, "Oh, these stupid FLDS people! If that they were just better people, then this wouldn't have happened, and they wouldn't have been killed." And here we are, and here people say this, and we can't say one word at all that that was the worst torture i hope nobody ever has to suffer but it was it was not easy to bear or to go through and that's why we're so grateful for you guys all being willing to share your story so that people can understand that it's not so simple you can't just look at people and say oh why don't they just do this or why don't they just do that you can't judge people like that because you don't know their full story you don't understand the pressures and the indoctrination and their whole life being surrounded by obedience to that with the hope of eternal salvation as a carrot you know as you said earlier um at what point what was the turning point because yeah when did you finally hear about something not until i all of a sudden got a phone call out of the blue from my I actually tell that sorry go ahead oldest daughter and the first thing she said was um she said, Father, hear me out and do not hang up. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. He's thinking, why would I? And I'm, I'm like, if you're calling me, it's for a real a reason. And she had no clue that there is no way that I would have hung up. Well, ever. she was being told your parents will not listen to you. Yeah. They were being told that they were contacting us and we were telling them what to do for the kids and what to do with the kids. So and that, they were and that we were in agreement that we knew everything that was going on. Here's another example of what I'm talking about. Go look at any trafficking situation where they're trapping kids and abusing them. It is no different. They're, they're going to say, say oh, well, your know. parents know about it. And they, you're, yeah, we're just doing what your parents want. That's exactly what they did with our kids. And obviously, we didn't know where I would have done something about it. Yeah. So your daughter called you. And she says, um, I need to bring the kids to you. And I said, okay. 
And I, it didn't matter to me why or what reason. If she's bringing the kids, there's a reason. I had perfect trust in her, and she just didn't know that because none of them trusted point. adults. They didn't trust any adults yeah, because they'd been so abused. She had been, she's 22, and she'd been so knocked down. She didn't even really dare trust herself. And she Kyle. had been driven to the lowest point, too. Yeah. Yeah, so. Kyle, what was the turning point on your side of it? How did we contact him? Yeah. What had, what had happened to get to the point where your sister was able to bring you to your parents? So in Colorado, at some point, we're like, we're going to start sinning. So let's get us to non-members. They'll kick us out of the church because we're sinners. And so we we contacted our brother. He was actually working, so he didn't... He, he knew it was happening, but he couldn't do anything. And so we contacted him because he had money because he worked. And he and had a truck. He actually, yeah, he had a truck. He actually helped pay for the house we were living in. And he paid for most of it. And all the, the other families living in there, they didn't really donate as much as they should. I mean, help as much as they should with the house. He was taking advantage of it. Taking advantage of it. Anyway, and so we're like, we, we want to get out. Can you help us get a house? somewhere else out and so he and yeah so that's what we did he helped us get a house we moved to minersville utah so to tell you who this is is he's only the 18 year old son who turned 18 after we were gone and had been put to work since he was 16 to support the whole family okay wow. so you're so at this point and it's kyle was all of the siblings was all eight of you together all eight of you decide that together, and then your 18-year-old brother was able to... Arana essentially made the decision, and obviously, we, we, she was our sister. She protected us. We loved her, you know. We obviously wanted to get out, so, you know, and she kept us together. So, yeah, anyway, so we moved they, to Myersville. They formed quite a trauma bond, is what they did. Yeah. They still have to stay. still there. Yeah, it became a matter of survival. And so what Lola did is she went ahead and moved down into Richfield so she could keep tabs on us. And so she would, she, we, we got away, it was better, but she would still come around, try to steal our stuff. That's all they wanted is control over us. So you're living in Minersville, you're in a different house, but there's that fear. That how long were you there before your sister called your parents? And where were you during that? Like, how did you feel about your sister calling your parents? So basically Lola's like, okay, you're gonna move in with Rachel. Because basically we went swimming in the river, and that was the worst thing you could ever do. And so, the four youngest kids. There's four younger ones. Yeah, and so she's like, we're going to move in with boys. Rachel. Keep in mind, Rachel's the worst. She's the worst and what, of she all. Was, so she and was trying to separate Trying to them. separate us from our sis, Arana, which is basically her. She's basically protecting us. And so she's like, no, it's not going to happen. I'm going to contact Mom and Dad to... You know, I'm going to send them to, to mom and dad so she, they can't go to Rachel and get abused even more. And, you know, and so my other sister reached out to a friend um, who had a number. I don't really know how she did it. I think she got on Facebook or something. And so she gave my sister the number who gave it to Ron who called dad. So you knew that that was the plan, and if they, yeah. if there had anything to do with Facebook, though, um, we weren't on Facebook because that we, there's no way we would have been on Facebook. Facebook we didn't get on Facebook, Cleartail. That was pretty way tiny. longer down the road, and I had yeah. people in Nebraska that were supposedly my friends saying, "Hey, when are you gonna do this?" And I'm like, "I'll get a Facebook account about the time hell freezes over." <laughs> and I couldn't tell them why. It's because I'm not gonna make that compromise, so to speak, and lose my kids and lose yes. out. So. However, anybody got the number, 
I mean, not that it really matters, and I don't know why I'm even defending myself about this, other than I guess I'm traumatized, but <laughs> it wasn't because we were on Facebook. Well, the time. truth was, we were told we had to change our phones, too, when we moved away. And so they didn't have any phone numbers. That's why well, there was no phone number. At this point, you're still fully believing in Warren Jeffs. Is that right? So you're They're still, still trying, trying to, to earn get back. Their kids. Like I said, it was a driving force. I believe in him all the more because I now always want my kids back. Right. But, <laughs> but for me, when I got the phone call, then I didn't care what anyone thought. If or if she called me and said, "I have to bring these kids to you," then I didn't particularly care if so-called priesthood authority had anything to do with it or not. If she called and said, we're doing this, there was a good reason and I didn't need to know the reason. This is probably the first time you ever thought of the possibility of them actually being in harm or actually right. being abused. Oh, yeah. yes. Correct. And so I didn't question it. I didn't put up any resistance to it. I'm like, okay, great. Well, I mean, first what place, can I do? Where do you want to meet? I'll come down. I'll drive work down there right now and get them. What, the first what place, do I need to do? We knew this daughter. We knew her and her character. We exactly. knew exactly what she'd been like and how much care and affection she had for her own siblings. So we had no doubt in our mind that if she said they're coming, then it was a need and yeah. they needed help. So obviously, even though she didn't tell what it was, we immediately was like, okay, there is something not right. Were you able to go get them together? Yes. Yes. So, and, and for me, I, I didn't, it, did, it didn't matter what, I had no reason to ask questions why. It was like, if you're asking this, there is an absolute really good reason and no questions asked, so I'm going to, we're going to do this. Yeah. And um, I tried really hard to convince her, let me come clear down there and get them. And she said, no. She said that they all want to say goodbye to their oldest brother. And he is in Denver, Colorado area, and so I'll meet you there. Hmm. And which gave made so that she had to drive like 12 hours, and I only had to drive like five. But that's what she wanted to do. So I'm like, okay, that's what you want to do. That's what we'll do. Jeff, really quick, what was the feeling that you had when you heard your daughter's voice again? Because at this point, you had no idea if right. you were ever going to see or hear from any of your children, I imagine. It was uh, a lot of emotion um, and elation because it, it's always awesome to get to hear someone from someone, especially that you love so much with your whole heart and soul. Um, and yet at the same time, obviously something bad happened and it's a protection for your children. And so it is, it's hard to describe. Um, what was going through my mind other than whatever I can do to support and take care of this and take care of the people I love is what I am going to do regardless of what it takes. Yeah. Like I said, there's no mountain high enough or ocean deep enough that's going to stop me. It was the only thing we were living for. Was exactly. Our kids is all we thing. lived for, period. Kyle, what was it like for you getting to see your parents for the first time? I was scared, you know, because I was scared of adults, but at the same time I was happy to see them, you know, it been two years, and they, you know, obviously, I, they said, hey, you know, your parents are dead, you know, you're never going to see them again, and then I did, so I was really excited about that, but I didn't show any emotion, because that was a, a defense, you know.
emotion at this point would have been beaten out of you considering what you had been through. So it's not, it's no surprise that it was hard to show emotion at that point. When he came, when Kyle came to us and if I kill this, is it going to be too hard on you? Just let me know if it is. But he had literally that no emotion. He didn't smile. He didn't open his eyes all the way. He just walked around very blank faced all day long. He didn't cry or frown. He didn't smile. Yeah. And after, I remember after a month, I was like, I called Jeff on the phone. Hey, I seen Kyle have an emotion today. He actually smile. started to smile. So wow. it was that, yeah. Very but, and, and later on, I asked him for what reason he didn't dare show emotion. And or, do you want to answer it? Should I go ahead? Well, what your reason was, what you told me. Like at I the said time before, was, it was a defense. You right, know, defense. You, there you go. He, so you showed he did that. Yeah. If he, if he smiled, he would get in trouble. If he frowned, he'd get in trouble. He was punished for whatever emotion he made. They were supposed to have no emotions and just do. Besides that. the fact it was better off if you didn't show him any emotions, so they couldn't use it to manipulate or use you. Use it against him. Obviously, we can see emotion on your face, Jeff. That's the next question after asking Kyle. I know it's probably hard to even put in words as a parent, but in a couple words, what was it like getting to see your kids again for the first time? Oh, how? <laughs> you know, I remember you had a whole box of gifts and you were just handing them out. <laughs> that was after that. we got back to the house. I had saved up gifts. But the first original, when I first originally seen them, my first thoughts were, oh my God, my cat, my kids are just like baby cats that have been tied up behind a wagon and dragged down to them. They were outside. They just looked like ragged muffins, worn out. Yeah. You just even their clothes. They were in, in rags. I didn't leave them there in rags. They had clothes, and they were in the same clothes they had. Pretty much the same clothes. Years before, did you send us clothes when we were there? Yes, we did. We so. we were told and promised by Lyle that we could send our kids stuff, and he would make mm -hmm. for sure that they would get it and. We did that on several occasions, and then come to find out later, they never got one thing, not one thing that we sent. One of the boxes we sent, it cost over $500 just for the shipping charge to ship that box. It was so full of clothes and stuff that our kids needed, and they never got it. So, so to answer the question, though, about what it was like to meet them again, you probably have a different perspective if you tell it too. But for me, like that we came, we met them in a parking lot, and they got out of the truck. They were all crammed in the truck, pulling a trailer, and they got out, and we didn't know how to feel. Nobody knew how to. They all were just silent, standing there, and I'm just silent, standing there, like, what can I do? We're still afraid of being shocked or hit or, like. Okay, if I'm emotional, then am I going to lose them? I mean, it was just still fear. And finally, I was—I realized, I'm like, I looked at my oldest of the four younger kids, and he had changed quite a bit in his look, and I had to ask him if he was one of my boys. I asked him if he was Kendrick, and, and he's like, yeah, I still am. He, he looked at me like I was foreign, too. And, you know, within a few minutes, it was like, I'm like, you know, God, give me a big hug. And I remember hugging my daughter 
I just remember I could just feel pain just coming from her body. And yet I really hadn't even been told anything at this point. You know, obviously just the pain of being apart, but she was 13 or 14. So, yeah, so they, when they came out to us, then they brought all of the children. My oldest daughter did not come. She was afraid to lose her salvation. She didn't dare yeah. ring. And she, she kept the youngest the children child. out to us, but she went back to the yeah, FLDS, what she she's back. trying to But say. she got away from Lola, kind of. Yeah. And so at that time, there was my oldest son, my oldest daughter, and my youngest child that we didn't see for another good year and a half or more. So your oldest daughter just wanted to get her siblings that she could tell were just being so awfully abused. She just knew she had to get them out, but she still believes so fully that she went back herself. Is that what I'm understanding? Yeah. Wow. Yep. And then when she went back, then she was basically ostracized. Nobody would speak to her. Nobody would talk to her. Nobody would touch her. She'd she done this terrible yeah. thing and taken her siblings to her awful, terrible parents who were yeah. just so wicked and terrible. One thing that we mentioned to our viewers in situations where, you know, these kids are, I mean, they're still kids being kidnapped, right? And abused and trafficked and all these things. And we've often said that getting children back to their parents is just the beginning of the process. It sounds so easy, like, oh, now the kids are back with their parents. So like, life is good now, right? Do you mind sharing with people a little bit about the process of, like, Kyle, what was it like for you adjusting to having your parents back? And then parents, obviously, what some of the struggles of reuniting a family actually looks like, because that can be not all essential. I didn't know how to feel, you know, I guess. It, you know, it was, I was, I remember the first day I was, I was amazed what, it was the simplest thing. My mom was like, hey, do you want some bread? And I was amazed that she offered me bread. You know, that was just, it's just amazing to me. Blew my mind. My observation was, and for good reason, they did not trust any adults. They did not trust us. They had been turned against us. And I am sad to say that because I did not understand the depth of what they went through, then I wasn't able to give them the type of support that they needed. Eventually I was, because when I figured it out, you better believe I gave it to them. Um, but this, this young man right here was so bad off, so to speak, um, that I ended up getting a job driving truck and kept him right with me, which was a good thing. And we, we got very close and I believe it was one of the things that helped him survive it and make it through it. But at very first, they didn't trust us even to the point where, um, because of the abuse they'd gone through, our first meal, they wouldn't eat. And we didn't understand why. And I found out later that after the lights were turned out that they all flocked down to the fridge and were just stuffing food in because that was the normal. They didn't know if that we were going to start abusing them like they had been abused because they were told that they were doing what the prophet wanted and the bishop wanted and if they were, the abusers were, then their parents were going to do the same. In their mind, that's what they thought and obviously that's not true and we never would have and never did. 
but but they have to relearn that yes they had they had to learn to trust us and we actually had to suffer a lot of things that were that they did to us so to speak um, out of their anger because they were angry because we had left them and they didn't understand how trapped we were and why we would have and it was just a whole process and it took years it took counselors it took um, a lot and I we're on a, a path of healing we're in a way better place um, obviously Kyle wouldn't have come here tonight and uh, shared this had he not been a lot more comfortable with his parents and been able to get through a lot of this and so thank you Kyle you're very brave I think it's important to get a message out so people can help the kids that are in that situation. I don't want it to happen to anybody. Nobody deserves that kind of treatment. What was the biggest struggle for you, Erna? I think it's kind of interesting to think back on it, but going through losing them was a lot, but when I got them back, that's when the pain started. That's really when, I mean, you know, and then it, there was just mountains of trauma that I was here. And I didn't want to miss one bit of it. I wanted to know exactly what they'd been through so I could help them. And that's the first it thing was, we did is start yeah. telling you what happened. And yeah. when they began telling me, and it, I mean, it took months, sometimes even years before I heard everything, or even if I ever had, but I'm just saying it, it took a long time for them to get out and then to realize that there was people that would hear them first off. And I didn't even know how to describe it other than I was just in such disbelief. I was just like, how could this happen? How can children be treated like this? How could this actually happen? When, you know, and then, and from all my beliefs, I was like, I had done everything right, as near as I could tell. Jeff had done everything. And then here, the worst of the worst happened to our kids. They had abuse, sexual abuse, mental abuse, starvation, physical abuse, and there was one more, but they, we literally got them that first through CPS and they told us there's five major abuses. Go ahead. That first day was the first best day, day of my life. Yeah. I actually got to pick food mm -hmm. in the fridge. Yeah. After two years of starving, it was, a, yeah. it was the very best day of my life. Yeah, and, and literally when he, they're talking about starving, um, some of the stories they tell me about in Colorado, when they lived in Colorado, they the one that really gets to me is when my 14-year-old told me that she had to eat the bark off of a tree to stay alive. She'd chew on the bark. And when we they, got had, food. They, they didn't have food. They would leave them there for a long time. I think my month was the longest at one time without a vehicle, without phones, without food. Completely abandoned and them. Abandoned them as punishments. And when we did get food, it was like rice or vegetables. And you know, not that's pretty much what it was. So it's pretty hard to live on rice alone. Yeah, common question people ask is, well, how did they survive? I mean, for that long, but they they would scrape driveways, and get a little bit of money, and they would take that money and go to the dollar stores. You tell me if I'm without yeah. enough coats yeah. to stay warm. Yeah. Some of them they had skinny arms and learned how to steal from vending machines, yeah, which is really extremely sad. Was still I'm glad they were able machine. to get some type of food with the God that I could have yeah. provided for them. My daughters told me that they, so they lived in, uh, what's the city in Colorado? Um, 
Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs and my two daughters that were 13 and 14 would just roam the streets because they felt safer. And they said that there was a uh, lady that would actually follow them and protect them because they would have guys following them. Oh, and wow. she would actually look out for them and keep them and safe. And, and they don't know who this lady was? Yeah. or they, she knew, they knew she worked at a certain store, so they'd kind of go to that store if they didn't feel safe. And they, wow. she had watched people follow them. And they, they, were, they would literally check all the pop machines that say to see if there was any change. They would see if there was change in the gutter. When they did get any money, they described it. Like they would go buy candy with it because the sugar would keep them alive longer. That's what she told me. And they learned how to eat some of the plants. And like I said, they were scraping the driveways to get a little bit of money. And... Uh, so some of the kids would tell me the neighbor, the neighbors kind of started noticing. Like when they came over and said, can we trade you these cupcakes we made for some the noodles? Pasta. Then they're like, okay, you know, anything else you need? And kind of started doing, invite, and then at that point they invite them over, you can go and have hot chocolate. And it was just, it was just saying, no, what happened is we were scraping the driveway. I offered to scrape the driveway, yeah. and they refused, but they wanted us, they offered us to let us in and have some chocolate so and stuff. They, yeah. oh, and so then they remembered. And that was bad, so we were scared to eat it. See, because so they were most of, it, And we all refused until Leander did, and, and basically she was the oldest, and so, you know, we're like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll drink some. But it was mm -hmm. sin to drink chocolate. It was yeah. sweet. You know, it's, it's any pretty much any type of sugar you're sinning to eat it. But they, so the neighbor actually kind of started noticing that there was a little bit of uh, abuse going on and then making sure they were being fed. So I'd like to say that um, even though most people didn't understand at all what was going on, there are some very good people out there. And if any of the viewers happen across this that happened to be one of the people who helped take care of my kids, and I just want to say thank you. Um, I really appreciate it. There's a lot of good people that help them a lot. And every one of you are important to me. I don't know who you are. It doesn't matter. But thank you for your kindness and your giving to my kids. I think a lot of times, you know, viewers ask, what can we do? Like, what can we do? And, you know, you can't go out to a, a community and start taking the children back like you wish you could sometimes, you know. Um, and, and our biggest advice is just what you were saying. Be that person. If you, um, they might not be kind, they might not be friendly to you because they have been taught their entire lives that you're, you know, an evil outsider, but be kind. Offer that cup of hot chocolate to that kid because you don't know the situation and letting people know that there's good people outside the community and help open them up. One way that I've looked at it and uh, is after everything that these kids go through, they're almost like a wild animal in the sense that, in the sense that if you put a piece of bread out on your porch, they might come up and get it, but they're going to be afraid of you uh, because of the way they were raised. And uh, so just kindness. Don't expect, don't expect them to, uh, run to you and ask for help but you know the kindness of offering help and doing what you can is very much appreciated so thank you all for the kindness that you show children and unfortunately this type of thing is still happening out there i'm so grateful that 
all of you are together. You have your family back. Miraculously, you're all together. And thank, <laughs> so thankful for that. And uh, I want to thank all of you out there that have helped these children as well. This has been been a rough time for a lot of families from the FLDS. I kind of wanted to end with, well, we'll start with Kyle, but if you could say one thing to people who are still in that community, and if you knew they would actually listen to you, what would you want to say to somebody that's still out there? Reach out, try to get help. I would like to say that regardless of what you've been told, there are a lot of very good police officers. There are a lot of very good people out there. Reach out to the neighbors. If you see a cop, ask for help. See if you can get some help because there are very good people out there who will help you, contrary to what you've been told all your life. Get the help you need and get out of the situation because no child deserves to live in fear or in abuse. And sometimes you don't realize you're being abused when you're in the moment. Um, I would say to all the moms out there, don't leave your babies. Don't do it. You won't live through it. It will kill you. Don't leave them. Don't let anyone control who you associate with either. That's between you and your own heartfelt feelings, who your friends are, who your family is. It's your decision, not someone else's. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. Your family is such a beacon of like hope that you can literally go through hell <laughs> and go through the fire and make it out on the other side, right? Like it, you can have that hope, the hope that you guys grasped onto and it might not have come out the way that you thought it was going to getting your children back but hopefully <laughs> you know hopefully in a better circumstance where now you can have them in even a more beautiful way so thank you guys yes. for sharing your stories and inspiring all of us so much yes thank you for being willing and open to discussing this topic i know it's very very hard for all of you to discuss it uh thank you for being vulnerable and just being willing to share this um, and hopefully it has helped you in some way to get some things off of your chest. And hopefully this will uh, make a better outcome for some of these children out there today. And encourage all those viewers out there. We thank you so much for your support. Um, you want to continue to hear stories of people like the Black family and support them in sharing their stories and want to hear more of, from lots of people about what it's like to grow up in polygamy. Please like and subscribe. And we're thankful for your support and hopefully watching out for the children in your life around you. Yes. Thank you all so much for being here. We look forward to seeing you soon. Talk to you all soon.